19 years old, pregnant, what would you do? Well, listen to today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast, because you're going to find out what my guest did. And you're also going to want to make sure that you listen to the full story, because she shares something at the end that I think makes her story even more powerful. You'll find show notes from today's episode over at shiningself.com forward slash 42. And if you want to check the book out that is mentioned in this episode, go over to getpastyourshit.com to learn more. You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now your host, Tish. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Tisha. Kelly, I'm so excited to have you because usually you are the one that is on the other end of the microphone interviewing people. So today I am looking forward to having Kelly share her story about putting a baby up for adoption. And then you're going to want to keep listening because we're going to circle to something at the end of the interview that I find I call it kind of like coming full circle. I don't know if that's the proper way to explain it, but I find it really unique. So Kelly, let's jump right in. And another reason that I wanted to have you on is because you had put together this book project called Get Past Your Shit. And I was one of the co-authors in that book. And I love that you actually opened up that book, sharing your story. So take my listeners back to when you were 19 and what happened? So, so yeah, when I was 19, I fooled around and got pregnant. (laughs) Very out of character for me to have truly casual sex, um, slept with someone I didn't know at all. And I knew the next morning I was pregnant. It's crazy. I just knew it. And sure enough, I was no relationship with the father and, um, 19 years old. I'm a high school dropout. I have no ability to take care of myself, let alone take care of anyone else. I'm working, I'm making $6 an hour. And, uh, I decide that I'm going to place my baby for adoption. Um, Abortion for me was not an option. It's just not something I ever really thought about. And um, so I contacted a private adoption agency here in Michigan and let them know, you know, I've, I, I want to place my baby with a family. I want to know that my baby's going to a good home. I want, I want my baby to have a sibling. Uh, and they, you know, they were thrilled to work with me, of course. Um, I working with this private agency, I got to review paperwork of families that wanted to adopt. So I got to choose parents. I got to just go through and say, I like the looks of this family. Uh, (laughs) When I think back on it now, the idea that I was reading what someone had to say about themselves to make the decision, it's kind of scary, right? (laughs) But Uh, at the time, you know, um, pre-internet pre being able to like stalk and research people online, that was really all we had to work with. So, um, so I went into 
you know, my pregnancy, knowing that I was not going to be keeping my baby. I told everyone, actually, I considered for a little while, keep in mind, I'm 19. I'm considered, uh, not telling anyone and maybe I'll just go have the baby and then tell the, tell them I lost it. Wow. Like, uh, I actually considered that not like with my sister, but with other people, like, I'll just, I just won't tell anybody. And, and then they'll, they'll all think that my baby died and, and that'll be the end of it. I didn't end up following through with that whole idea, thankfully, uh, cause that would have been just a nightmare of a lie to hold on to my whole life. Um, so people are, people are shocked. Like, uh, I, I didn't know anybody who'd ever given a child up for adoption. Um, that by the way, is a term that people don't use anymore. They don't say you gave your baby up, but that's the kind of terminology we use then. Uh, we, you place the baby for adoption. You don't give up a baby for adoption. That sounds so um, much better. Uh, but people, people didn't really give me a whole lot of, of, they didn't ask a lot of questions. I have my baby. I have a baby boy and I'm so determined to be brave at the hospital because I have this idea that because I'm a single unwed mother that's giving her baby up, that, that people probably don't respect me or they think there's something wrong with me. So I want to act real mature and, and not be a problem at the hospital. I just remember like, be tough. Don't be whiny. Don't complain about anything. Uh, just show your, show everybody that you're this mature, responsible young woman and you know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, I'm just cracking myself up, remembering all the, these things that I was thinking about back then. Uh, I have my baby. They asked me if I want to hold him. I said, no, he's, you know, this is not my baby. I don't want to hold him. I, I never do. Um, I never do hold him before I go home. I go home from the hospital. Um, there's a whole process <clears throat> where, you know, you don't just, you don't get to just say, I don't, I give up. I'm, I surrender my baby. There's a whole process, but I did sign the papers that let my baby go into uh, the private adoption agency's foster parent program where the baby would live with someone until parental rights were, were severed, which would take, you know, a month or six weeks. I go home <clears throat> and I cry a lot and I sleep a lot and I avoid talking about it. And about two weeks goes by and I'm just miserable. I'm just, I'm so sad. I go, I go to my sister and I'm crying and I'm just like, I'm just so sad. I just, have I made a mistake? I don't know if I've done the right thing. And my sister who, who honestly was never, uh, she didn't try to talk me out of adoption, but she did wonder if I, if I was making a mistake, uh, she said, you know, if you don't want to give up your baby, you don't have to, you could come and live with us and you could raise your baby and I would help you. And I decided, yep, that's what I want to do. Like, wow. if you're, if you're offering to help me, if I can come live with you and have your support, yes, yes, let's do that. 
And so I called the agency and I said, I've changed my mind. What do I do? And they said, well, you come get your baby, you know, (laughs) it's your baby. You get to do what you want. So the next day, my sister drove me to the agency and I picked up my son, held him for the first time and brought him home Uh, all the way there and all the way back. My sister had to keep stopping the car so I could throw up. Oh my goodness. And we just assumed it was because I was nervous and it was, and it was a really, just this big, big day, but you know, uh, I got home and I continued to throw up <laughs> long story short, I had gallstones and I had, I had started to have terrible pain gallstone attacks and ended up having to go to the emergency room and, and ended up having to have surgery. But, um, the process of, of getting the diagnosis and then getting the surgeon and getting the surgery scheduled was very long. I ended up having to wait an entire month, having gallbladder attacks every single day. So my whole first month of motherhood was me sicker than a dog, barely able to hold my baby. Uh, So my sister was having to help me constantly with everything. Um, I had my surgery. I recovered. I went back to work and um, that's when, so (laughs) I would say that's when the problem started, but really the problem started right away with my being, with my being sick. But when I went back to work, a couple of things happened. My brother-in-law, my sister's husband sat me down one day and said, so when are you moving out? What are you, what are you doing about getting your own place? And I just remember feeling this, this stunned sucker punch feeling like all the, like all the breath went out of my body and all the blood ran out of my head. And, and I just sat there looking at him like, what? what? Because Becky, cause my sister said, come live with me. You can raise you. Well, I'll help you. You can raise your baby. And I thought I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm living, I'm living with my sister and I'm raising my baby. And my brother-in-law's like, what are you doing about getting your own place? And I didn't say, wait a minute. I, I'm I'm staying with you guys for a long time. I said, Oh, um, I'll start looking. I'll, I'll find something. I just didn't, I just didn't say anything mm-hmm. other than, Oh, I'll, I'll start looking. Kelly, I had a question just pop up as you were sharing that. How long at that point had you been with them? So, you know, five or six weeks. Okay. Um, and so here's the thing. Uh, telling this part of the story, my brother-in-law is not an asshole. You know, um, my sister didn't, didn't promise me to live there forever. I assumed when she said, come stay with me, I'll help you. I thought that meant I'm going to stay with them for years and I'm going to raise my baby. I'm, I'm the one who thought this is what the situation is. And so when the situation did not turn out to be that way, I felt deeply shaken because when I was pregnant, I looked around my life and thought, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this alone. I I can't, I can't even like pay for an apartment of my own. So, 
So now, so now I'm like, I've got my baby and I'm looking around going, what happened? <laughs> I, I still can't do this. I still can't take care of myself. I've, I felt very shaken and uh, I ended up, um, I ended up moving in with my cousin. My cousin wanted to have, wanted a roommate situation. And so, um, so I moved in with my cousin. I never did say a thing to my sister about the conversation with my brother-in-law never said, Hey, Russ asked me when I'm moving out. I just moved out. Um, I moved in with my cousin and my cousin became my daycare because I tried to, I tried to hire a daycare, but I could never pay her. I never made enough money for anything. $6 an hour. I mean, holy shit. How does anybody do anything on $6 an hour? They don't. (laughs) I went to social services for help. And after taking a half a day off work to sit through, you know, all the paperwork and the process and everything, they offered me $44 a month in food stamps. Wow. Um, and, and of course I could get WIC. So like baby formula, I could get paid for, but $44 a month in food stamps was what a $6 an hour single mom could qualify for. And the woman behind the table said, you know, if you quit your job, you'd get everything. Yep. We'd, we'd pay your rent. You'd get a full, you know, full round of, of, uh, food stamps, wick, um, you know, you, you're all your, you'd just be all set. And I'm just blinking at her thinking, quit, quit my job. Like, I, I don't understand. (laughs) I, I, so here I am now, my baby is like three months old. And one day, um, my cousin comes to my work with my baby and surprises me. I hear her voice. I turn around. There she is holding my son. He's wearing a, a onesie, like an undershirt and it's filthy. Uh, he has, he has a, a milk allergy. He, and he spits up all the time and he's just filthy. His face is dirty. His, the front of his t-shirt is dirty. And I I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, what are you, what are you doing here? You didn't tell me you were coming. Why did you, why did you bring my baby wearing a dirty onesie? I, I scooped him up in my arms and I, and I just ran into my boss's office like holding him to my chest. And I'm just, I'm just embarrassed and humiliated. And I look and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my boss and I, and I just, I just start bawling. And I said, I just, I don't want anyone to see him who brings a baby to work in a dirty onesie. Like what is the matter with her? And, and, and she's like, are you, are you crying about a dirty onesie? I said, I'm crying because everything I was ever afraid of is happening. I can't fucking do this. I can't pay my bills. I wrote a, I wrote a check that's going to bounce for the groceries. My, my idiot cousin is my only daycare. I, everything I was ever afraid of happening is happening. I shouldn't have brought him home. 
I, he should not be here with me. And she just listened with so much compassion. She's like, what do you want to do? I said, I, I want to, I want to give him up. And I did. I called the adoption agency. I said, I made a terrible mistake. Everything I was afraid of is happening. I can't afford to take care of him. And, and, uh, can I, can I still give him to that family? And they said, well, that family already had another baby come to them. So you can choose you come on, come, come talk to us. We'll help you. You know, you'll, you'll choose a new family. And so I did, I, I fought, I, I met with them. I choose a new family. I set a date and I called my sister. I asked her to come over. I hand, I handed her my baby and said, I, I want you to say goodbye because I'm giving, I'm giving him up for adoption. And she was so, she was so stunned. She was so, she was so blown away. Um, and this is something I share in the book um, and the get past your shit book is the, she's holding my son. She's crying. Her heart's breaking. She's like, you're take you're taking him away from us. You're just, you're just taking him away from us. And, and I don't understand. And, and I, I said, I, everything I was ever afraid of is happening. And I, this is not the life I want for him. This is not the life I want for me. And she said, whatever success you experience in life, I won't be able to forget what you gave up. And she was hurting my, my sister's the most loving person on on earth. Uh, she was hurting and, and she said something that I used for a very long time after that. I used what she said to hurt me, to punish me when I would get a, uh, when I would get a raise at work, I would think I got that raise because I gave up my baby. Oh my goodness. When I got a promotion, I got that promotion because I gave up my baby. I had a lot of shit about that. (laughs) I carried around a lot of shit about that. And, you know, it was the right decision. I, I never regretted it. Not, not one moment. I, I cried myself to sleep a lot. I felt shame about it, but I never, ever felt regret because I knew I made the right choice for my son and for me. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing all that, Kelly. You, you did such a wonderful job, like sharing all that you answered all the questions that were popping into my head. Um, But one thing that I'm curious about is, you know, going back to after that couple of weeks, when you decide that, um, you know, you want the baby back when you go and take the baby. Were you ever like in your mind, were you thinking about, oh my gosh, what am I doing to this family taking him, you know, away from them? Yeah. Oh, I felt, I felt tremendous guilt, uh, about that because even though the system is set up to, to, you know, to, um, to have the baby in foster care for a little while, um, that family had been coming to visit him, you know, that there was a, there was a a mom and a dad who, who thought they were visiting their new baby. Mm -hmm. And, and then they got the call saying, Nope, sorry, 
she changed your mind. I can't imagine what that was like for them. And I'm, I'm glad that you just mentioned foster care because that's a great segue into um, the next session or not session, but the next session of what I want to chat about with your story. And I just want to um, really quick ask, you know, did you share everything that you wanted to about like the adoption part? Cause I know I kind of interrupted there at the end. So I want to make sure if there's anything else you want to share about that, that you have a chance to do that. What I want to share is that I'm adopted. I um, my, I was born in, in 1966 during the Vietnam war. Um, my mother was very young, like 17 years old and she was married. She already had a baby and her husband was in, was in Vietnam. I was born from an affair. And, uh, when she found out she was pregnant, when she told her husband, I'm pregnant, I had an affair and I'm pregnant. He said, uh, get rid of it or I'll divorce you and take our daughter when I get home. And, uh, for whatever reason, she didn't have an abortion. She ended up, um, my birth mother's name is Linda. I've never met her, but I know her name. Linda was, um, my adoptive, my adopted mom was her aunt by marriage. And my mom found out about her predicament and told her, have the baby. And if it's a daughter, I'll adopt her. And if it's a boy, I'll help you find someone to adopt her. So, uh, so she did, <laughs> I was a girl. And so, um, so I was adopted by, by Beverly and Ted. That's my mom and dad. I'm adopted. And so I've been after, after having my son, Frankie, by the name, by the way, I never said his name, Frankie. Um, when I chose adoption from my son, I chose it completely understanding what that meant, knowing what it's like to grow up, going to grow up adopted. And I always had really positive feelings about being adopted. Um, I strangely felt special to be adopted, felt special and chosen to be adopted because of a book my dad used to read me when I was a little girl. The book told me so. (laughs) The book told me I was chosen. Um, uh, my, My parents were alcoholics. My mother was physically and emotionally abusive. She wasn't a good mother. But yeah, so I, so I experienced two sides of adoption, being adopted myself and placing my son for adoption. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that makes your story even more unique because like you said, you know, you also experienced it from a personal um, perspective because you were adopted. So now I want to switch gears and like, And like I mentioned at the beginning, Kelly and I are really close friends. So I know a lot of her story and stuff, but I always enjoy, you know, when you get to share it, Kelly, um, and this next part of your story that we're going to talk about, like, I just, I admire this so much about you. And I just, um, like it just makes your story that much more like amazing and fascinating to me. So what I want to switch gears and chat about now is 
Kelly, would you share what you have recently um, completed and what the next stage of your life that you're moving into? Yeah. So uh, probably about, I'm going to say around 10 years ago, I had a glimmer. Um, Somebody made the comment to me that I had been on all sides of adoption. And I said, no, not really. I've never adopted. And as soon as the word, the words popped out of my mouth, I was like, Ooh, I want to adopt someday. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, adoption is not, it's not, there's not just two sides to adoption. There's three sides to adoption. There's the birth parent who's placing a child for adoption. There's the child being adopted and there's an, there's a parent adopting. And so about 10 years ago, I thought, I, I want to adopt someday. I always, so, so I went on after, after Frankie was placed for adoption. It was just a couple of years later. I met my husband and, um, my son, Sean came along and, um, uh, so I have, I have a full, I have a grown son, Sean's 30. Um, I always thought I would have more kids. I didn't mean to only have one child, but my husband and I didn't stay married very long <laughs> and I never remarried. So, so I never had any other children. And when I had that thought, I want to adopt, um, it was, it's one of those, it was such an offhand moment, but, but as soon as it landed, I just knew that I knew it would happen. And the more I talked about it, um, I thought, I remember I I'm, I'm 54 now. So, so this is, I'm like 44. And I remember thinking I'll do it in my fifties. Um, and so, yeah, I'm 54. <laughs> and, and last year I, I thought, boy, I've been saying I was going to do it in my fifties and here I am in my fifties. I think I better shit or get off the pot. And so I just finished my, uh, gargantuan mountain of paperwork for becoming a licensed foster parent. I love it. And that that's quite a process. (laughs) I don't have my license yet. I should have my license in September. I still have another home visit to go through. Um, oh man, what a process paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. So one of the things that just popped into my head as you're talking about like all the paperwork and stuff that you've had to do, um, did you have to disclose that you placed a baby for adoption when you were younger? Yeah. Well, you have to tell your, your life story. There's, I don't know what it's like everywhere. I can only speak to what my experience was here in Michigan, but I've been working on this. Um, we're, we're talking in August. I have been steadily working on this since spring and I've been through classes and home visits and paperwork and fingerprinting and background checks and, you know, Um, just, and I, and they give you these papers where you write your whole life story. What was your childhood? Like, what was, how were you parented? Did you experience any abuse? And, and, and I did like my mother was physically and emotionally abusive and there was alcohol, alcoholism and, and that all has to be shared. And And 
sorry, go ahead. Well, it was funny because when my social, when my licensing worker, she was warning me, you know, I'm going to give you this big, huge thing and you've got to fill out this profile and it's going to be very intimidating. And I laughed because I had just published the book (laughs) and I'm like, oh, I, I won't have any trouble writing about my story. Like I could just hand you a copy of the book and we could be done. Um, but that was bullshit. It was still hard. It was still hard answering their questions. So, you know, as you're having to like answer the questions and write your story, Kelly, did it, did the thought ever like pop into your head? Like, oh shit, because of, you know, like my childhood being abused and stuff and then placing a baby for adoption. Did you ever consider that that could be a potential, I guess, like a red flag to them that they would have been like, okay, no, you are out of the game. Well, yeah, that's, I believe that's their goal in, in having you tell them about your childhood. Uh, they want to, they, they don't want to grant foster parent licenses to somebody who is so wounded and damaged that, that they're likely to, you know, perpetuate negative parenting or abuse. And, and I found it really interesting in filling out all their paperwork that asks you to tell them what happened, but it never once asked, and then what? So I wrote a cover letter when I sent, when I finished it all up and I saw that there wasn't one question about, and then what, you know? So I wrote a cover letter explaining like, just, I just feel really weird turning this in and not letting you know that uh, I'm not a gaping wound. Mm-hmm. Yes. My mother was rotten. <laughs> yes. Alcoholism created a very fucked up home life. And I have had a, a lifetime of healing and forgiveness and compassion and growth. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not my story. My caseworker, I had a home visit, you know, shortly after that. And she said, I really, really liked your cover letter. <laughs> she, that, was, that was really helpful. So Kelly, now that you have done all this, um, I have kind of a two-part question here. How soon could somebody be placed with you and share, like, what are your thoughts? Are you nervous, excited, like not (laughs) sure what to expect? Like what's going on in your head? I've had a a roller coaster. So two things, one, I'm, I'm part Pollyanna in spite of a lifetime, uh, of, in in spite of a, of a rotten childhood and, and all that, I've always had a little Pollyanna streak, meaning, I tend to assume the best thing is going to happen. I tend to have a, a upbeat, a faith-filled future focus. And so I just have this confidence that the right people, the right kid is going to show up in my life. Now I'm specifically focused on a teenager, like 12 and up. 12, 13 is the youngest I would accept. And I am, I am only open to uh, girls or, um, uh, someone who identifies female. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm open to gay, transgender, the, you know, the, the gamut. Um, but I feel drawn to foster and adopt a, a girl. So I've got this Pollyanna perspective of just the right one's going to show up, right? You know, the perfect child for me, the one that, that I'm designed to parent is going to show up. And so with that Pollyanna attitude, I'm not nervous at all. I'm not scared. I'm not full of shit. You know, I know it's not going to be easy. I know people, you know, kids don't come into foster care because, you know, unicorns and rainbows dropped them in my lap. Right. (laughs) They, they have, they've experienced shit Mm -hmm. and, and they'll, they'll be a life, you know, a, a process of of healing and growth and it won't all be easy. Um, now my licensing worker definitely thinks I've got a Pollyanna issue. Um, but one of the classes I had to take talked a lot about trauma and I sat through one of my classes, one of those classes, just crying, you know, about the trauma that kids experience. And the training that I've received is so good. Um, and the books that, that have been recommended to me to read have been so good and have brought a new layer of healing for myself. As I really look back at, at some of the trauma that I experienced. Um, so yeah, sometimes I'm scared and sometimes I'm not, and I don't know what to expect. I'm likely to have my license in September. If, if things don't, it COVID has things slowed down. Right. So, um, the, I have one more home visit and then my caseworker submits her, uh, her report basically saying, yes, uh, I feel good. This person should have a license. And then it goes in, you know, through the, the final little hoop. And however long that bureaucracy runs, you know, they may come back with questions or they may just rubber stamp it and boom, there's my license. Um, as soon as I have my license, I'll, I will start to get calls because there are not enough foster homes for, for teenagers in Michigan. Mm-hmm. There, there are not enough So right this minute, there's some teenager somewhere who's not in a foster home who needs one, you know, that, and, and who knows what that means. They could be in a group home. They could be in a half, you know, in in an institution somewhere. I, I don't even like to think about it, but, um, so this fall, September, October, I could be opening the doors to my first foster child. That is so exciting. And I would love like after you have a foster child and have, um, you know, experienced that I would love to invite you back as a guest so that we could talk about that part of your story as a follow-up <laughs> that, yeah, well, that might take a few years, right? <laughs> to be able to, what, um, the chances of me fostering somebody that, that becomes adoptable Mm -hmm. right away is, is very hit or miss. I mean, the first, the first person who comes to my house might be short-term, right. You know, it might just be, uh, you know, a situation where they've been removed for a little while. 
Um, and to, I've learned so much about foster, the foster care program here in Michigan, the foster care program is pretty, uh, robust. Um, and some teens who, who have parental rights severed decide not to be adopted. And so it never occurred to me that I might foster a child who, who does, who they they only want somewhere to live, to finish school. They don't want to be adopted. They don't want to be a permanent part of a family. And, um, I'm open to that too. I'm not, I'm not so attached to adoption that I would say no to spending a few years with the young person, you know, who just needs a safe place to be. Um, so who knows? I mean, I might be doing some short-term foster care for several years before, before I meet someone who wants to be adopted and, and feels like a fit for our family. Well, Kelly, this has been so amazing. And I just love that you were willing to, you know, share your story with everybody real quick before I forget. Um, I wanted to mention that Kelly and I have mentioned the get past your shit book several times. If you want to check that out, head on over to getpastyourshit.com. Um, Kelly, is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with today? We have talked about a ton of, you know, heavy, but you, it's not so heavy anymore, if that makes sense. Um, so is there just any last parting words that you want to leave with the listeners today? I hope you read the book because there's so much shit that holds us back that doesn't have to anymore. And, uh, and if, and just, let's just give a plug for foster parenting. Like there are not enough foster parents in the world. There there are not enough good foster homes. It's a lot. It's a lot to go through. But if you can imagine opening up your home to a kid who needs some loving, you should explore it. Absolutely. Thank you, Kelly. And then one last thing, if somebody wants to check you out online, where can they find you at? Lovepeoplemakemoney.com is my home. All right. Thank you so much, Kelly. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join me. Thank you, Tisha. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and share with others that need a message of hope, love, and transformation.